Thank you very much to our choir musicians. Love them and love their heart. Much of the heart that we share in worship uh, is due to the example that they set. Not as uh, necessarily only worship leaders, but as lead worshipers. Uh, we're not seeing a performance um, from Sunday to Sunday. We're seeing people give their hearts in worship. And uh, boy, that blesses me. And so thank you guys this morning. Psalm 87. If you'll turn in your Bibles to uh, the book of Psalms, it's right in the middle. If you take your Bible and just kind of open it up to the middle, you'll be there or very close. And uh, we'll be in the 87th Psalm this morning. They're in order. And so you can just turn there until you find Psalm 87. If you don't have your Bible with you, the words will be on our screen. And if you don't have a Bible in your life, we don't want anybody leaving here today without a good, reliable copy of God's Word just for you. And so we have those on the table in the back as you leave, the same table guests that we have your little gift on. You'll see some copies of God's Word laid out there. There's no cost to you for those. We just want you to have that if you need it. If you say, Matthew, I've got it now. What do I do with it? Uh, and you want to know where to start and what it means. Why don't you reach out to me or Trey or Kevin or Fletcher, any of us, um, of our deacons or people you trust in your church or in your life and let us stand with you as you uh, start on that journey uh, we'll be happy to be honored to okay this is a strange little psalm psalm 87 sometimes you look up on your podcast and you can see sermons you know dozens and dozens of sermons on a psalm or on a passage of scripture if you look up psalm 87 you might find four sermons on all the podcasts, I mean, all over the place, Psalm 87, it's a strange little psalm, a funky little psalm. Can I say that in church? It's a, it is a funky little psalm. If you lay all the commentaries out side by side, nobody agrees on exactly the details of what this psalm means. Good commentaries by people you would know and trust and recognize and scholarship and pastoral ministry yeah, it's all over the place because there's a mysteriousness to this psalm that our eyes just have not been able to sort out yet. But I think as we look at this, we're going to see some simple truths that no matter what the details really are about the exactness of meaning here, these simple truths rise to the top. This is a psalm about citizenship, heavenly citizenship. It's a hymn of Zion. Uh, Zion is, of course, the city of God, the historic, the actual city of God, also called Jerusalem, and goes by a few other names if you know your scripture well. But the actual historic city of God is pictured here as a picture of the future and greater promise of eternal life in heaven with God and with the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And so we're looking here and reading about uh, an ancient text, about uh, a, a, an ancient city that still exists, of course, today. But what's being said in this picture is about our future hope, is about our eternal promise, citizenship in the city of God. In April of 2009, something strange happened in the waters of the Indian Ocean. The Maersk, Alabama, a cargo ship, uh, was traveling through those waters not far off the coast of Somalia and a boat of pirates, as, you, as it were, a, a boat of those who would want to capture this ship, 
came alongside, and as best they could, they tried to fight off this mighty cargo vessel. I mean, so many tons and tons of displacement fighting off this little uh, aggressive boat until finally those pirates boarded that ship and took over. They took people captives, and, and by violence and bloodshed, they held it for a matter of days. And the United States Navy heard of this distress signal, and they responded with two guided missile destroyers to go to that area. And there they were <clears throat> with the Maersk Alabama. But by that time, the, the uh, captors had taken the captain, put him and them in a lifeboat together, uh, knowing that they were uh, under watch by the Navy, and they were towing along this little lifeboat, eventually, by one of these guided missile cruisers. And the Navy sent a team of SEALs out there, and this captain, Richard Phillips, I think I've got his name right, uh, Richard Phillips was in that little lifeboat dinghy, and three of the captors were in there too, and the Navy SEALs practiced and practiced, and from the, the fantail of one of those mighty naval vessels bobbing up and down in the water at a great distance into a little lifeboat dinghy bobbing up and down at a much faster and a much different rate, they were able simultaneously with three shots all at once to take out very precision, very specific uh, sniper shots of those three captors. And all at once, their Captain Phillips was freed. In a spray of blood, it was over. And the world marveled at this. They looked at it and said, amazing that anyone, any human being with, could have the, that level of skill and training to on a vessel at sea, into a vessel at sea, with human movement, with all the unpredictable variables, three at once could take such a shot and prevail. It was amazing. The world was talking about it. The might of the United States military, if you will, was on display. It was a marvel. It was a source of pride for those of us who are here that this could happen, that the rescue like that, an unbelievable rescue, could happen. And there was a sense that it means something to be a United States citizen. To Captain Phillips, it means something that that was his country. That when he was in distress, it was them who came for him. There was a benefit to being an American. We look today at this Psalm of Zion. And we see there is a blessing and a benefit. There is a promise and a provision. It means something to be a citizen of heaven. It means something to be a citizen of Zion, to be claimed and called in by God as a father and or as a son. We read earlier of those who were once separated from God, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. It means something that God reaches out to us and says, no, I want you to be born of me. There's a blessing and benefit to that. So we're going to read this together, this difficult but rich psalm. We're going to go over three points. Of what kind of citizenship does God promise his people? Number one, verse one. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. That's God. <clears throat> On the holy mount 
stands the city he founded. The Lord Yahweh loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. Selah. We talked about what that word means. We don't have an exact translation, but it, it, it pretty much means let that sink in. Or think about that for a minute. Simmer on that. It's a pause. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. Selah. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, or look, Philistia with Tyre and Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the people, quote, this one was born there, Selah. Let that sink in. These nations who were once distant enemies of God. What are their names? You heard them. Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia, Tyre with Cush. Uh, these nations who are foreigners and outsiders. God says, uh, listen, I establish my city. It is me who establishes it. It is the Lord who records the people. And when I say that someone far off from me was born in my city. Listen, they've got citizenship there. You might say, no, I was born over in Rahab. No, my, my culture and my religion is that with of Philistia or Tyre or, or Cush. The Lord overrules that when by his long and loving arm, he draws us near to himself. And the citizenship in heaven is so certain and so secure your belonging to the household of God is, is so assured that he can say you were born there. The Bible uses the terminology of adoption, which is very powerful. But it doesn't stop there for us. Those of us who know Christ are born again. We're born. We're his. Verse 7. Singers and dancers, and your Bible may say pipers, those who play the pipe. The, again, this is a difficult psalm. Singers and dancers or singers and fluters or pipers alike. Say all my springs or all my fountains are in you. In where? In the city of God. What kind of citizenship do we have as God's people? The first is this. We have a firmly founded citizenship Make no mistake, as you look at the opening verses of this, verses 1 through 3, uh, this is a statement of certainty. This is a statement of foundation. And in the original language, it's ordered quite differently than in English. We reordered it in our interpretation translation here to make sense according to our grammar. But the first word here is founded. It could read something like this. It could read founded by God is the city that stands on the holy mount. The, the place of eminence here is, giving to the, is given to the fact that God founded this. This is a sure place. It is an unshakable place. Three times, God himself is the source of action here. He founds the city. He loves the city. He occupies the city. In another psalm, it says this, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be, do you know, moved. This is God's city. It is founded by him. It is a certain 
city. The emphasis is on how fixed and established, how immovable and unfailing, how permanent your citizenship is. When I was a 12-year-old kid, my parents used to take, my, my dad and my stepmother used to take us to um, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. That was kind of the place they liked to go. And we would go there sometimes with them. And in downtown Myrtle Beach, kind of the tourist district, there's a place called the Myrtle Beach Grand Prix. Anybody go there when you were a kid and got the go-kart? So somebody, so yeah, well, Mary, okay, Mary rode the Grand Prix. Uh, I'm impressed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Myrtle Beach Grand Prix, it was go-karts, but it wasn't just, you know, the, the, the small go-karts. They had big go-karts there and a big track you could race around. And in fact, to ride their go-karts, you had to get a little driver's license. And it had your picture on it. It was grainy, an old black and white grainy picture, and, uh, but it was a, a plastic card with your name on it. It was a driver's license. When you're 12 years old and a boy, maybe girls too, y'all can tell me, but I mean, if you get a driver's license somewhere, that's pretty cool. And so 12 years old, <clears throat> you go there, get your driver's license with your picture on there, you were allowed to drive the Grand Prix cards. Cars. I've got my card still, my little driver's license. <laughs> I tried to use it last time I was pulled over. It didn't work out uh, too well. But if you go to Myrtle Beach now and you take that car, you think, man, I'm, I mean, I'm in here. I'm licensed here. I'm going to ride the Grand Prix. Guess what? It's not there anymore. It's bulldozed down. There's nothing of it left in Myrtle Beach anymore. I, I, I want you to know that, that even if you have the card, even if you have the, the credentials, even if you have the citizenship, there are certain things in certain places that are sure to fail. You might pull out your car and say, I've got a citizenship in this house or this family. And something happens and the family dissolves away. I had the security of my mom and dad. And then all of a sudden they're gone or they're parting ways. Things change. Things fail. I've got the card, but the place is bulldozed to the ground. God gives us a firm citizenship, a permanent citizenship. I want to take you to my elementary school, kids, and show you where it was that I came at, up. And my principal, Mr. Don Beard, who was my, the guy at my school, and you go by there and brick on brick is just tumbled to the ground. The place is making way for a Dollar General or something. McBrian Must I was a McBrian Mustang, and I know the song still, green and white were our colors. Guess what? Gone. I'm a card holder, but there's no place to honor my card anymore. An actual country. You might say, I'm from this place or that place. It's conquered. It's done. It's over. You might, you might say, I'm from this family or from that family. This is my house where I grew up in, kids. Guess what? It's sold. It's remodeled. There are those things that fail from the citizenships that we hold in this world. Someone came to me this morning and said, please pray for me. I've had a hard week, and I'm struggling to find joy in what's happening with my job and, and some of the difficulties with my kids and grandkids and, and a lot is swirling around us and I've really struggled to find joy. There are joyless times in our world. There are joyless times for the card-holding citizenship 
cardholding citizens of this world. But praise be to God, God has given us something better, amen? When the firmest foundations fail, I want you to know the eternal promises of God to those he saves are irrevocable. They're irrevocable. When God establishes it, friends, you can count on it both now and for eternity. Sage, I don't know where you are, but Sage, Ashley, Aubrey, this morning, I want you to know that you have a homeland and a family that nobody can take away. What is it so good about the city of God? Zion, they're singing a hymn about it. It's founded by God himself. It will not be moved. You have a firmly founded citizenship, those who are in Christ. Secondly, we have a far-reaching citizenship. This part amazes me. Don't miss this. I don't know all the meaning of this, but I, knew, I do know this. The attention turns from that citadel, that city of God, uh, to far-off places, to the very remotest cities. Uh, it speaks of outsiders, and not just outsiders, but very distant, far outsiders is what's being spoken of here. They worshiped pagan gods in these places. They were military enemies of God's people. It was a different culture and different rituals. They were in their sin and hadn't felt no accountability to the Lord. And God looks at these places and, and kind of turns things around for them and says, those who know me, those who have a presence here, I mention all these places that they now belong in my city. When Eric and I were dating, we dated since we were teenagers, um, and I mowed yards with my little buddy Dale. We went around mowing yards all the time, and we would eat at the most disgusting places you can imagine. Cheap but awesome. I mean, in, in, in holes in the wall and little old shopping centers that you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to get out of your car, we would go and eat in these places. And we found one called the Super S Buffet. I don't know what this stood for. I have no clue. Super S Buffet. And it was over off Shallowford Road in our town, which is not a, a really attractive area. And we would go over there, Super S Buffet, cheap food, all you could eat, fried chicken, everything you could imagine. And I thought, I've got to bring Erica, Erica here. <laughs> Excuse me. I mean, I've, got, I've got to bring my, my, my little treasured girlfriend to the Super S Buffet. And my heart was genuine in it because I had found something awesome. And I wanted to share it with somebody who I thought was awesome. I still think is awesome. Um, <laughs> and she came over with me. I said, we're going to the Super S Buffet. And she rode over there with me. And we went inside and sat down at the table. And I saw it through new eyes, if, you, if it makes sense. And I saw that there was, you know, streaks of something down, going down the wall, right? And the carpet was mashed in with, you know, biscuits and stuff that had never been vacuumed. Just, you know, mashed and gross and squishy when you stepped, you know what I mean? And <clears throat> I saw evidence that there might be infestation uh, going on at the Super S uh, buffet. And Erica, very nicely and all put together like she is, she looked at me and she said, I am not eating here. <laughs> she said, this is not a place I belong. <clears throat> and it wasn't, that's true. Um, we look at the city of God, if we're honest, if we're honest, if we will not forget the deep places from which God raised us, 
we must look at that city and say, I don't belong there. We must look at these people must have looked at the, the earthly Jerusalem and said, I don't belong there. I don't, I'm not owed the title of being born in that city, of being a person, a man or a woman, a son or a daughter of God. We've got to look at the rights and privileges of salvation. We must say, God, how can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? It, it must stupefy us when we sit down there, not at a, an ugly old dirty table, but at a feast, a provision set before us that we ought not to have. We have a far-reaching citizenship. The Lord reached out and called us his own because we are irreconcilably and hopelessly distant from God. We saw that in the baptism today. It's not enough to be a better person. God wants us to be born again to a living hope, to be a new creature, as the Bible says. Not an improvement, not a step up, but he calls us to, to, to die to self and to be raised to newness of life. The Bible says that old, the old is gone. He has made all things new. Don't ever forget that we who were once far off have been lovingly brought near by the blood of Christ. And that in fact, we are born as new people into a new homeland with a new father and a new family and a new future. We may praise God for his indescribable gift. No wonder that the New Testament says, praise God for his indescribable gift. We cannot even get our minds around it to know the why or the how of what God has done for us. A far-reaching citizenship. But lastly, number three, we have a life-changing citizenship. Verse 7 is a strange little verse. Singers and dancers alike, or singers and fluters, flouters, flautists <laughs> alike, say all my springs, all my fountains, the, the picture here is of source. The source of all that brings me life is in you, is now in this city. Well, what about old Rahab and Babylon? I mean, aren't you, don't, I mean, don't you have a little flavor of that? Don't you want a little taste of that still? Listen, these people are saying they're celebrating all my fountains. Everything I have, everything I need, everything I desire, Lord, you provide it. All of this is in you. Notice for those who dwell in Zion, that is where they find their joy and their source. My son Jackson hates a few things about me. Just a few. <clears throat> One thing, hey, I'm wearing these on my belt today to, as an illustration. These are my AirPods. You know what AirPods are? Put them in your ears. You, on, many times if I'm calling you on the phone, I'm talking to you on these little AirPods. But they charge in this little box. And Jackson tells me, Dad, do not wear them on your belt like that. <laughs> belt loop. Right? See them right there? They are. He looks at it. He shakes his head and just covers his face. He's like, Dad, please don't wear them on your belt. I say, Jackson, when I opened them up, they came with this little clip. You know? 
If you're not supposed to wear them on your belt, they wouldn't have come with that. And guess what? Click. There they go, right? <laughs> he hates that I wear a watch with a stretchy band. <clears throat> I got this, uh, and he said, Dad, I never thought you'd be one to wear one of those with a stretchy band. I said, what did you think? He said, I thought you were a leather band kind of guy, you know? Kind of, you know, you know it just didn't fit with, with you. And I said, well, Jackson, I like this one with the stretchy band, you know? And I thought, why, why is it that I don't care about being a nerd anymore, you know? I mean, <laughs> there was a time when I would have said, you know, I want to fit in and I want to look cool. I want to go out and I, I don't want to be, be the guy that's wearing the things on his belt or the stretchy band watch. I don't really care that much anymore because there's pretty much two or three things that are most important to me right now of who I am. One is to be a, a husband and a father and to try to, to do well at that. The other is to be a, the pastor of this church. And neither one of those requires me to be cool. And you may praise God for that. <clears throat> if you want me to get some skinny jeans next week, I will. <clears throat> We have about a quarter of the crowd, probably. But <clears throat> I don't need to be cool because that's not who I am anymore. I, I, I'm a dad, and I don't, I don't have to worry about all this stuff. My stretchy band and, and, and my nerdiness, I don't have to worry about any of that because I'm a dad, and there are other things that are important to me now. God has changed over time. He has changed who I am. And for those who are citizens of heaven... Don't miss, this is a life-changing citizenship. We talk about the free gift of God, and, and it is a free gift. And Christ has accomplished it for us on our behalf. It will never be because of our goodness. It will never be uh, one iota of anything we've done that calls us into sa salvation and citizenship with God through Jesus Christ. It's only because of what he has done. Here we are as citizens of heaven it ought to change something. It ought to change our life. We ought not to look like Rahab and Philistia and Tyre with Cush. We ought not to look at Babylon and look like Babylon. We ought to look like place citizens of the heavenly kingdom. There ought to be a difference there to us. There are people in this room right now. I won't look at your face at this moment because I know exactly who you are. There are those in this room right now who are now uh, citizens of, the, of Zion and son and daughter of the king, and you came out of deep, deep places of immorality. And God has rescued you from that. You're no longer living in that country, in that homeland. You're living for somewhere else. There are those in here today who have lived in rejection of God, and it has consumed so much emotional and spiritual energy for you to maintain that case that there is no God, that you don't need God. There are those in this room who, who are spending their mental time and efforts to do that, that God has called out of that to himself. And here you are today. There are those who've come from deep addiction, deep addiction. The grip was strong. And God said, this one was born in her. The Lord has established her 
It is he who records as he registers the people. And at the darkest moment, when there was no hope, when all was lost, he said, you are born here. You're no longer of that place. You belong with me. It ought to change you. What's important to you ought to change. There ought to be a new source, a new spring, a new fountain, a new joy, singing and dancing. It comes from this place that God has prepared for us. It comes from what God has done for us. It comes from who he's made us to be. Do I know all the details of this psalm? No, I don't. Is there much, much more that could be said and connected to what we're talking about today? Absolutely. But this morning, God has made a way for you to have rejoicing in your life that the longings of your deepest heart can be made full in Zion. Your new homeland is your abundant source of provision and praise. Reese and I were walking over at the cemetery this week looking at some of the headstones, and there was one there from 1853, <clears throat> a lady next to her husband, identical headstones, old headstones. I reached out and touched it just to, just to feel the, the stone there, just to know how old that was, how long it had been standing there. I just wanted to be a part of that. And I looked at the inscription. It had her name on there. I wish I had brought it with me. I would, would tell it to you. She was born in 1853, died in 1910. <clears throat> The inscription said, here's all it said, she hath done what she could. She hath done what she could. I don't know if that's an inscription of love or of meanness, you know. <laughs> she, didn't, she did a lot. She didn't do enough. It's a strange one, though, isn't it? Some things are strange just because they're old. They talk different ways. This was just strange. She hath done what she could. The father was there next to her. She... He, they didn't put anything on his stone, right? He hath not done what he could, I guess. But <clears throat> to me, it's a testament to our finitude, to how finite we are. Here she was, 1853 to 1910. She's done what she could. It's limited what we can do, isn't it? Our power is limited. Our time is limited. One day, it ends on this earth, and we're done. And we have done what we can, but none of us will ever do enough to accomplish what is said here in this psalm. Not, one, not, not me, not the best person you can think of in all history will ever be good enough or have done enough to say, I'm a citizen of heaven. No, not at all. The Lord loves the gates of Zion and that is the place where the people would enter that holy city. We may praise God that he loves those gates. And that he has chosen by his pleasure to swing them wide open for those who would follow Christ into that holy place. We'll never do enough, but praise God that he loves the gates of that city so much that he would swing them open for us if we would follow Jesus the King of glory. You see, on the cruel cross, Jesus stepped in where we could do nothing. And he became what you deserve. He took what you deserve. He became the sin that was going to cost you. 
He became what you deserve so you could become what he deserves. You see, our citizenship is really the citizenship of Christ that God lovingly bestows upon us. And so I ask you this morning, are you inside the gates? You see, your homeland matters. It makes all the difference in the world. Where does your citizenship lie? The gates are open. Wouldn't you come in? What's holding you back? Living in that far country, following those deadly ways, trusting that self of yours, it'll never be enough. When God looks at you and says, why don't you be born of me to a living hope through Jesus Christ? If you want to make that decision today, I'll be here, or other pastors will be here. We'll be happy to help you. We're not going to embarrass you. We'll be happy to walk you through it, and this church will celebrate with you. If you have other needs this morning, if you'd like to come for baptism, as we've seen today, we'll be baptizing again in a couple weeks. We'd like to welcome you into that. If you need to come for church membership, we're not a perfect church, but we need people like you to help us. God's given us a mission. Why don't you help us with that? If you have other questions or other needs, decisions, we'll be happy to pray with you and counsel with you. Lord, thank you for this good morning. Thank you for the word of God and for trusting it to us. Thank you for these baptisms. I pray you would safeguard each one here who is no doubt going to fall under uh, opposition and attack in these days as they take these first steps to really follow you. Lord, help their families to strengthen them, to love them, to support them. And may this church embrace them as is our duty to counsel and to walk with them to disciple them to be more like Christ. Father, today, if there's a decision that needs to be made, I pray that you would prevail upon hearts. Our hearts are hard. Our hearts are stubborn. Our hearts love comfort. Holy Spirit, break through and help us to say yes to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. And as we do, the floor is open for you.